Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Through the blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 361. I'm by myself in studio, and of course, Clint Casper is going to hop on. Doug thought he had the corona. He doesn't have the corona. Steve lives with Doug, and I didn't want him anywhere near the studio, so we said stay home, and then Eric's working that OT. It's a wild, wild time right now. So we will see what happens with the podcast. We might just do phone interviews for a while, but it's getting crazy. Everyone stay safe out there. Binge listen to podcast and binge watch outdoor content. It's good for the whole industry. Uh, real quick, we have a sale right now on workingclassbowhunter.com. All clothing is on sale, and if you spend more than 50 bucks, get free shipping. The Ohio hat is in. The F and Squirrel Patch shirts are in. Um, we have two new legacy hats. We're going to bring a couple of them back. Um, there's a big request for that. Illinois working class hats are in. Rumor on the street is that Eric was pestered to do an Indiana and a Missouri hat. So I think we're looking into that. And we have a couple new designs and uh, new things that we're trying to do to just kind of switch things up. Merch is fun. Um, there's always a use for it. Um, also, we just started a Patreon um, account. And that is a website where if you want to go to it and be a supporter, be a patron, you can donate uh, like a dollar a month to content, um, especially for like freestyle content. Um, you know, there's a lot of creators on the uh, website and I know um, it's kind of a cool way just for our listeners to give back. And then we can give back to our listeners that are taking it a step further there. We have some things planned out. I don't want to say just yet. We only have one tier on there. It's $1 a month if you want to do that. But if not, that's fine, too. You don't have to. It's just there um, for extra stuff. We got it rocking because of all the trade shows canceled and stuff on us. But um, we got some exclusive content coming on the ropes that will be there. So check that out. Um, the link for that's on our homepage of workingclassbowhunter.com. And I think that's it. I'm going to run through some of our partners here and get rock and we'll get Quinn on the phone uh hha of course scent crusher thermoseat victory archery elite archery lone wolf custom gear big time hunter's blend coffee old barn taxidermy can cooker and i want to add because it's getting that food plot time of year if you listen to last week's episode we had a bs session with joe Humphreys from big time uh we have a code there uh, WCB 2020 will get you 20% off all your food plots, um, seed 
So get set up for the springtime. Um, I was going to do a veteran shout-out with the boys here, but I think I want to do a proper vet- veteran shout-out with everyone. That way we can kind of do it as a group, and they get the fair working-class vet shout-out segment rather than me just doing it alone in the studio, and it's just me and, and Lonesome. So we'll wait till next week to do that. I just want to jump through those ads um, and get right into the content with Clint and get rocking. So hope you enjoy the one-on-one style episode. Let me know what you think, and uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. And I have Clint Casper on the telephone. Social distancing. What's up, dude? <laughs> what up, my man? Social distancing at its finest. Yeah, man. It's like I'm a one-man show in here right now. I know, man. I'm, uh, I was bummed. I mean, not that you and I can't get it done, but I was bummed that uh, the whole crew's not going to be there. But, uh, man, it's crazy what's going on. I totally I get it. I get it. Totally get it. We'll make do, though, man. We'll make it work. Yeah, I know uh, Doug was traveling. I don't know what the fuck he was traveling for. I think he was going to, like, weddings or something, which, like, you know, screw all that. But uh, so he was he had, like, the symptoms. So I guess he was calling around to get tested. Just I mean, wouldn't it suck to be that guy (laughs) to Mm. bring it to your area? No doubt. And he he kept getting, like, turned away and stuff. So and then he finally found a spot and he was, like, good. Like, he didn't even have the flu. He just felt like absolute garbage. And then, yeah. you know, Steve lives with them. So I'm like, hey, dude, you're not. Let's just stay home, both of you. <laughs> yeah. No doubt, man. Better better be safe and sorry in, in this uh, this world we're in right now. It's crazy. It is nuts. It is nuts. Um, what kind of hunting gear are you going to buy with that stimulus check? Um, Probably some new shoes for Easton and Keaton and some new clothes for Keaton because he eats about nine pounds of food a day <laughs> and is growing like a bad weed. So, yeah, that's uh, yep, that's probably going to be the hunting gear it gets bought. <laughs> maybe, maybe a point in Nevada for elk and deer yeah. might slide that in there. I might have to do that, too. That's a good that's a good that's a solid tip, man. Use your stimulus oh, package man. to fund the states. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Man, and now's the time, too. Like, everybody, like, gets all crazy about, which, I mean, I'm the same way, sheds and scouting and turkeys. But, man, if you're if you're wanting to go out west and stuff, you got to get a plan right now. Well, let's, or already hey, been... let's talk about that a little bit because, yep. I mean, we, that wasn't even on the docket. But I just put in for my Colorado points uh, yep. Friday or something like that last week. Um, yep. So a couple weeks from when this this airs, and I I missed last year. So I have two points. I did it the year before. Missed last year. Did it this year. Um, break that down a little bit. For, so for guys that midwestern dudes or east coast guys that are wanting to make it all the way to the west to hunt, I guess like the bucket list critters, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, you kind of got two options. I mean, you got states like Idaho um, where there's a lot of good over-the-counter stuff. You can go to Walmart and buy an elk tag, buy a mule deer tag. I mean, I do it. I mean, I didn't hunt Idaho last year, but the previous two years I was in Idaho. Um, there's some, you know, there there are some leftover tags in, like, Colorado and some of those states. But a lot of states, if you want to get in, um, you've got to apply for either like a zero point unit or burn some points and, and go in a unit that takes like actual points to get. Um, so there's kind of, you know, two methods of madness there. I mean, some states I build points in, other states I run the zero pointer over the counter game. And I just, me personally, I try, I want to hunt every year. Uh, long story short, in my opinion, it, 
it's hard to kill an elk if you're not hunting elk. And I know there's when, what I mean by that is there's guys that will apply for eight, nine, ten years because they know they need that many points to draw this certain unit. Let's say it's in uh, Montana, but if you draw that tag and you've never hunted elk, I mean it's like your handicap. So okay, yeah. you, you 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 waited all this time, you drew this tag, you got to the Super Bowl, but now they want you to throw a you know a thirty yard fade to win the game, and you've never thrown a pass in the NFL. Right. It's like That's you know a great so. Analogy. Like for me, I want to hunt mule deer. That's, I mean, every, I'm sure everyone's figured that out, that that's my, like mule deer is my, my whole deal right now. It's, I'm an, infatuated with it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you like mule deer more than whitetails? Absolutely. R- if, really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't expect yep. you to answer yep. that quick. Yep. If someone was to tell me right now, you can hunt one animal the rest of your life. What are you hunting? I'm bow hunting in the high country for mule deer. Hands Why? Down. Why over whitetails? I figured whitetail would be your, your pride and joy. Uh, I just, I, I just, I like the challenge. Um, not only do you have to figure out a big buck and get him killed, but you've got to not kill yourself while you're out there. Right. You've, you, you've, you've got to make all the right moves to live there, survive there and outsmart other hunters and outsmart a big buck on public in the high country. I mean, between, you know, um, just, how you camp where you camp water you know staying in the game mentally um not falling off a rock cliff at fourteen thousand feet lightning um (laughs) bears lions i mean wolves i mean it just uh, to me it's the ultimate challenge and you know because you're a good buddy of mine but for people that don't know like i mean i'm always about testing myself like when i think i've at i'm at a point where i'm happy I got to take it to the next level. And, right. and I just, I'm, I'm my biggest critic. I'm my hardest critic. Uh, mule deer hunts, they make me work year round. If I'm not scouting on my phone or on a tablet or something, looking at Onyx, looking at Go Hunt, I'm in, you know, I get up every morning at 4.30, go to the gym, get in there, grind. Yeah. I mean, I do that six, seven months out of the year because, like, I know what it takes to get it done. And I know how hard I've had to work to get there. And mule deer hunting keeps me solid, man. I mean, it just, it, it, it's a year round thing. Right, right. And, um, dude, when we talk saying, about, uh, mule deer, cause I'm getting up there where I could probably oh, yeah. draw a decent unit and some, I've been oh, building points yeah. for a few years. Well, oh, yeah. longer than that, four or five years I've been building points. And, uh, we're, we were discussing mule deer units about maybe doing a hunt together in the future. And you're like, yep. oh, yeah, I was in unit so and so. And I'm like, well, let me take a peek at this unit. And I'm like, Jesus, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I'm going to lose <laughs> yeah. 30 pounds to hit that unit. Like, this, uh, it's just fun like being well like just like whenever we were talking about that you're like dude that is that is like it's it's the gnar fuck man yeah i was in a pretty steep unit for elk um in colorado um yeah it was more the fall downs that were killing us and i felt yeah i mean i did it just fine like i didn't stop like i didn't stop in oregon but i have a high motivation to be successful so i think i really think that's what gets me through a lot of it like I, i didn't go in and in complete athlete shape, you know what I'm saying? So, right. um, but if I didn't have the motivation to want to be successful, it, why would, a, what, what would get me up the mountain? Cause I just be like, what are you doing? Like you get to be in shape too, but if you're in shape and you don't want to be successful, then you're going to fail. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'll take the guy that has the will to kill a mule deer who's out of shape any day over the guy that's in great shape, but realistically doesn't want to be there because in the back country in Colorado at 13,500 feet, 
the bottom line is in plain words, and you can quote me on this, you better want to fucking kill a mule deer if you're there, because if you don't, you're not going to last very long. That's the yeah. bottom line. You either, you either want to fucking kill one or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to be heading to the truck real quick because it's yeah. not quote unquote a fun hunt if you're not obsessed with the whole process. And that, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I love. I mean, I, I love packing in. I love the camping. I love the adventure. There's, unknown and mystery at every turn for me that's that's what gets my ticker going dude i mean i just that's it's yeah i i i can't find that same adventure hunting whitetails like i can hunting mule deer yeah and that's basically what it boils down to i mean if you told me what do you think's the hardest animal to kill um oh hands down i mean i i a, a mature educated whitetail in the midwest is as hard to figure out as it gets what makes mule deer so badass though is it's where they live it's how they live it's the stuff you've got to do to actually go get one killed Mm -hmm. and then once you get it and then once you get it killed like anyone who followed my colorado story fuck dude your adventure just started i mean i damn near killed myself getting him out i mean hell killing my buck wasn't even the hard part i was trying to get you know so i mean it's just yeah i just (laughs) I get my rocks off on the adventure, man. That's just all there is to it. Well, I kind of, you know, we chatted about it a little bit. I'm pretty picky, even though it might not seem like it. Well, I guess you wouldn't know unless, like, we were planning to hunt together. But I'm super picky on who I hunt with. I'm not picky on who I share camp with or anything like that. But, like, if I'm planning a trip to go to Colorado this year and I save my money and I built my points and – um. Or, you know, if I'm going to South Dakota, even just to chase antelope or whatever it is, over the counter, something I build points for, I won't just go with anyone that's like, we should go, I'll go with you, because the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, I just I don't know how they are. I don't know what their yeah. motivation to be successful is, because I like to yeah. goof off and have fun, but as soon oh, as yeah. we step out of the truck and we're like, all right, let's get after one, like, we're getting after one, you yeah. know? And that's the reason why I've always told Steve, I'm like, dude, I'll go hunting with you, but, like, if we're out there, I'm hunting. Like, if I'm not there to drink bush light and hang around and laugh. Like, that's fun, too, but I'm there to hunt first. Yep. So oh, yeah. The camaraderie is good. I love it. But if I yep. go somewhere, I want to get it done, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, you know, I, I get that. And, I mean, and there's a fine line between, you know, uh, are you out there to spend time and, and kinship and, and all that stuff? Or are you out there to go get a tag punched? And I mean, like a lot of people always say to me, like, I'm sure you've got lots of friends. Why don't you take people with you? Why do you always go solo? And it's nothing against people. It's not, it's not because I don't like people. It's not because I don't like my friends, but it's just like when I leave my driveway and I, and I set my sights West, I mean, is it going to be fun? Absolutely. Is it going to be, um, you know, it's something that I look forward to every day leading up to it, but it's also in my mind, just cause the way I tick, like it's, it's a fucking business trip. I mean, I'm, I'm going out yeah. there with the intent to, I'm not coming back until I succeed in what I want to do. And I just, I don't like having any if, ands or buts. If I fail, I failed because of myself. If I win, I won because of myself and yeah. I just, I, I like that. I like that me versus me thing. You know, I mean, I'm yeah. my biggest hero or I'm my worst enemy. I'm either going to, you know, do the stuff I need to do to survive and get it done. Or I'm going to let myself down. And then I come back home and I'm like, all right, bro, 
you know, you got shit to work on. Like this is you, you failed at this or you failed at that. Or, you know, for, for me, that's my UFC title fight is when I go out there and do those solo backcountry hunts, because it's like, yeah. all right, you, you train, you talk about it, you write about it, you podcast about it. Okay. Now we're going to go out and we're going to test how big of a badass you are. And Dude, I mean, that's, so, going solo you know, is that's nuts. It's, I mean, I can, I can imagine doing it now. I mean, I, yeah. I, and the way I'm talking, it probably seems like I've been on a bunch of Western hunts. I've been on an antelope hunt and I've been on an elk hunt, both on public. Well, um, and your obviously. mule deer hunt. And your mule deer and hunt. And my mule deer hunt. How did I fucking yeah. forget about that? But I mean, all three tough hunts in different aspects. My mm-hmm. elk hunt was brutal. My elk yep. hunt was super brutal. Uh, the antelope hunt took, it takes a, I mean, it's all different type of hunting, right? So if, yep. if yep. you go out there with someone, they don't have a basic foundation. Like if they don't have the, if they don't have just the basic structure of how to hunt, how to move, how to feel wind, I don't want to go with you. I'll teach yep. I'll teach you how to hunt at home, but I'm not going to take you to South Dakota to try and spot and stock antelope. It's just, even though I never went antelope hunting, it's the basic like movements and kind of like, it's hard to explain, but it's just how, basically just knowing how to hunt animals. There's like a, a general sense of knowing how to do it. But then it's like all the little things you learn along the way for that specific hunt. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of fun. Like antelope hunting, man, it's the one thing I took away from antelope hunting that I don't know. I mean, unless I was spotting stocking like a mule deer in the plains or something like that, is how to use any little bit of cover and wind that you can to mask your basically just to be concealed until you can get close enough for a shot. Like, and I'm talking using a piece of grass that's a foot taller than the rest of the grass around it. And you use that to spot and stock on an antelope for a hundred yards. <laughs> like that's the shit. It like really like test your, your stealth skills and your real fine tune skills when it comes to doing that type of shit. Oh yeah. I mean, I've said before antelope hunting. Um, I've been out to Montana twice on that 900 um, archery only tag. And I mean, it's that, honestly molded me and got me ready for mule deer hunts for elk hunts i mean if you can kill an antelope with your bow you could kill anything um because it is literally a game of it's spot and stock 100 percent number one and it's it is a game of basically hiding behind nothing to get within striking distance of an animal that is so lightning quick and is so turned on and the senses are just so crazy in keen with what the world has going on at that moment. Like if you can fool them and pull it off and get one of those killed, you can kill anything. I will guarantee it because antelope rarely, rarely, rarely do you just get lucky. You either know what you're doing and earn it, or you won't even get within 400 yards of an antelope. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> I got to say I, mean, I got lucky then. But, you know, we hunted them for five days, um, which is not like an incredibly long hunt, but I shot mine. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of grinding, man, on an antelope hunt. I mean, we chased them from, base, shoot, uh, you know, legal shooting line in the morning to legal shooting oh, line yeah. at night, like nonstop. We were going yep. after it. And, you know, we did, I don't know how many stocks the whole time. I mean, a bunch. Um, I, sh- I shot and hit mine and, you know, was successful. My dad got three shots off and had, dude, I mean, even once you get a shot, 
that's oh, not yeah. a guarantee. They're going to jump no. the string. They're going to do some yep. crazy shit, which what happened to him three times. Um, I yep. think Buckstorm's got them all on film. Um, like it's like right when the bow goes off, that thing takes off, and your arrow hits behind it. Oh yeah! It's like what the hell? How? How? Oh yeah! How was that oh, possible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, they're turned on, and the thing the thing with antelope is you a lot of times you get. I tell a lot of people if you're going out west for your first time, go hunt antelope because you get to make a ton of stocks. Typically, like once you get into antelope, you're going to get to make stocks. You're going to fail. You're going to screw up, but you're going to learn as you go on the way. And it's like a building block. Like when I'm on a high country mule deer hunt, dude, I might work my ass off for six days to get one stock. You better be perfect on that one stock because that might like, that might be it. I mean, that's just the game that you play with say a mule deer buck versus antelope. I mean, it's, it's just a totally, it's a totally different game, you know? And it's like, all those failed stocks on antelope over the years and different things. I mean, like you're taken away from everyone. You're learning something, you're gaining knowledge, and then you can you can build off that and use it. I mean, antelope man are a great great tool for a guy to use as a building block to get ready to go chase elk or mule deer. Where and it's so you much might, fun. Oh, dude, there's nothing better. There's nothing better in August or September to go run around and freaking chase antelope. I absolutely we got to do that hunt together. Oh, Montana, dude, Montana, I'm Mon- down. like, oh yeah, Montana, man, Montana or Wyoming. I'm building Wyoming points for antelope. I, I got uh, yep. I got two points in Colorado, and I got some points built up in Utah as well. Yeah, man, we could hook up with uh, Skyler and Nicole and go out to Utah, man. That'd be fun. Um, that would they be wild. On- yeah, they get on some good goats, man, but that'd be cool. Hey, sure. so if people want to build, like real quick before we hop into the late season whitetail talk, um, yep. what what would you what would your advice be for someone that wants to build points? Like what state would you start with? Or I mean it doesn't be like the golden rule, but and what do you build points in first? Or if you don't want to give that information up and get a, a general sense, I get it. But uh, I mean, for me, I feel like a state like Colorado is hard to beat because you can actually gain a point but still apply for a tag as a second or third choice. So you could put in for a preference point on mule deer for your first choice, but then apply for a unit as a second and a third choice. Say it's unit uh, 571 and 572. You apply for those two second and third choice. You're liable to – you're going to get a point for sure and then potentially grab a tag – so you can hunt and still have gained a point. And in my opinion, you have to be hunting mule deer to get to be able to kill mule deer. You have to be hunting elk to kill elk. So mm-hmm. like I do not advise a guy to build points, build points, build points, build points, draw a tag and say I'm going to go hunt elk now on my 9 points, but you've never hunted elk because realistically you have absolutely no clue or no knowledge as to what you're doing. I don't care how much right. you read, how much you listen on the podcast, how much you, you watch on TV until you go do this stuff and actually try it out and see for yourself, okay, here's what it's all about. You're, you, I mean, you can have the greatest tag in the world, but if you've never done it, you don't know what you're doing. And when the moment of truth comes and you've got to now make this 74 yard shot on this mule deer in Colorado after 12 years of waiting for points and you're in the high country and you've never done it before, are you going to be able to do that? Can, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe some guys can, yeah, but yeah. realistically, I mean, 
That makes perfect gonna, sense. You know, so my advice would be build points, yes, but if you want to build points and let's say you want to build points in Colorado, go hunt Idaho over the counter. Let's say you want to build points in Colorado, but you can grab a second or third choice and go hunt uh, a lesser desired unit, but you're still hunting. You're still figuring it out. It's, it's going to force you to get in shape. It's going to force you to scout. It's going to force you to figure out how to hunt in Colorado in the high country. Mm. Do it. I mean, like that's my biggest thing was when I started all this five, six years ago, I just jumped in. I'm like, I'm going to build points and I'm going to hunt and I'm just going to figure it out as I go. And then once yeah. I get a system down, you know, so like every couple of years I can hunt Nevada, every couple of years I can hunt Wyoming every year I could hunt Colorado because they got a lot of great zero point and one point units. Yeah. Same with, that's what I, I did. I did an over the counter. Yeah. Like we just, well, yeah, I think we bought them online, but we could have gone to Walmart yep. and just bought them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, which I you need know, to do that again. I'm building points now. I need to go elk hunting again. You know, I did the elk hunt and the animal hunt last year and, and the mule deer. Yep. Um, so I'm due for another elk hunt here in the next year or two. Yep. So we'll Absolutely, see. man. And that's, and I mean, that would be my advice. My advice is, you know, I mean, it costs money too. I mean, that's, that's the yep. painful thing. And I guess that's why having two points versus someone with no points gets you so much better of a unit. Um, a lot of people just don't like to spend the money. I had a guy that was when I was I bought my Colorado tag at work, and I, um, a guy was in there watching me do it. He's like, "What do you, what do you mean you got to build points?" And I started yep. like kind of breaking it down. He's like, "Oh, so if I because he he's one of those guys that hunts very lightly, and he's like, oh, well, I was going to go elk hunting like next year. I didn't realize I had to build points.' I'm like, well, it depends where you go, but so yep. most of the people would just think you can just go whenever you want, anywhere you want. Yeah, and 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 the thing is too is I mean you know. I tell people too, don't get caught up in the points game to where you're chasing points and not chasing critters. Because I mean, realistically, yeah. like they're, you know, like, um, you know, uh, the Moab or the, you know, the, I mean, the, there's, there's the Arizona strip. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to go hunt mule deer on those spots, but I'm not going to wait 20 years to draw that tag. I want to hunt mule deer in Utah every year or every other year. So realistically, Although it would be awesome to do that and and have a chance to go hunt, say, a 240, 250-inch buck on the strip, that's great. But I'd rather every other every year, every other year, go chase around solid 170, 180-plus bucks and freaking get seven or eight of them killed and put on the wall versus just waiting for that one month. I, I, but then that's just me. Some yeah. people, they're going to wait their whole life to draw some of these – Arizona elk tags and Utah muley tags and some of the Montana elk tags or the Wyoming yeah. deer tags. And My buddy I, had I like 20 points in Arizona and killed like a 200 and I think he killed a 220 inch muley there. Oh yeah. But, I mean, and, and they're, and they're there. And if you've got the points, you can do it. But me, I want to be lined out to where I'm going on a couple Western hunts every year, elk, mule deer, antelope, et cetera. Like I, I want to bow hunt. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I'm not chasing sense. points. I so I'm probably animals. good to cash in on some Utah units, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. I probably should oh, yeah. start start mapping some shit out. But I need to do another. I want to do another over the counter elk tag, um, mm -hmm. or elk unit, you know, before I before I cash in some points. So I'll I'll be there I, next next year probably where I'm looking, starting to do some unit research. We should go to Idaho, dog. I'm down. We gotta do yep. it. I got people him hawing on hunts uh, this fall. So I got nothing solid yet. That's the thing with vacation, man. I got to map out my time. It sucks. Oh, yeah. It sucks yep. real bad. Well, and that's the thing. There's another reason why I go solo. There's no him hauling. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to worry about what anybody else. Is yeah, doing right, that. right, right. That's the I thing. 
I don't have time for him hauling. <laughs> well, a lot my him hauling sponsor hunts. So oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yep. But it's yep. like, hey, I got to start making plans. If not, I'll just do it on my own on public. Like, yeah. You know. Oh, dude, you got to do. You got to go do a solo one soon, man, and just test the waters and dive in, man. I know. I was just go. thinking about that when you were talking about it. I, yep. I I feel like I could. I might be getting a lot oh, of shit yeah. done because I'm not going to sit and talk to myself. I'm going to like. Oh just yeah, keep dude. At it. Yeah, dude. You could. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you'll like it. It's it's a totally different spin on the world. Whenever you disconnect and just say, "All right, it's me, my pack, my tent, my bow. Here we go. Yeah. See you in seven days. I mean, oh, it's." And it's not for everybody. I mean, some some people love it, some people hate it. But man, a- until you go do it, it's like you don't. You know what I mean? You you you'll never know until you just dive in and do it. It's like riding a bike. If you never ride a bike, you might love it, you might wreck, you might hate it, you might not, you might wreck and get back on and say, "Yep, I'm gonna figure it out." I mean, y- you don't know, but yeah. until you do it. Yeah, I I definitely will one of these days. Um, but I'll tell you, it's not on the docket now. I'm I, I still really enjoy hunting with my old man. So, oh yeah, we're gonna. Get out there a little bit, but hey, dude, let's switch gears. I want to talk uh, your late season whitetail. Yep, we'll touch more on the western stuff here. I imagine uh, soon, but uh, oh yeah, man, I I remember talking to you. Fuck, I was in uh, you killed the thing late season. I yep. think we were in Nebraska for the Nebraska um, yep big game expo. Yep, and you guys were at, you guys were tearing down. It was a Sunday. Yep, we were tearing down. And I get a phone call. I think you called me that morning. Like, we were still at the Airbnb, and yep. everyone's kind of standing around. I'm like, all right, fucking go get him. You called me, and, and I'm like, hey, Clint just called a shot. We'll see if he kills a buck this afternoon. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, shit, you know. So then on the way home, literally pulling the trailer home from Nebraska, and you call me, and you got a buck down. So in between bl- all that. I bl- I blacked out and don't remember anything I said, but I'm sure it was comical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you called me like right after. Oh, dude, I was still in my I was still in my freaking Lone Wolf custom gear stand when I called you. <laughs> That's hilarious. I thought it sounded yeah. like it. I remember because we were driving home and I had you, of course, over the Bluetooth so everybody could hear it. Oh yeah. So run it through though, because Chandler called his shot and then you call your shot. And being able to call your shot on a whitetail, a mature whitetail, is not a—it's not something that happens very often. Um, there's very select people that will call me and be like, "Found a buck, I'm going in to get him," and I'm like, "Ugh, that de- that buck's dead." You know what I mean? It's just not a common yep. thing to that people make it happen when they say they're going to make it happen. Yep. Yep. So, kind of give us the rundown, like. How did you figure this buck out late season? How are you so confident in being able to just call your shot? Yeah, so this buck, um, he was around in the summertime, and I got his sheds last year, and um, I thought he was five last year. Um, You know, like a solid 140s buck. I mean, didn't think he was going to blow in to be like an absolute giant as far as score, but just had that mature buck characteristics, just, you know, brute body, big mature buck. I'm like, man, you know, I'd, I'd love to maybe have a chance at, you know, catching up with him. So all summer kind of watched him. I, I, I probably about in July, early August, I realized he wasn't going to be much bigger, um, maybe gain four or five inches. So I'm like, all right, this would be a, a buck that at six, six and a half, you know, like, man, I, I'd love to kill this buck if, if yeah. given the opportunity. 
Um, as summer went on, I, I lost him once he stripped velvet. And then I got on an absolute like mega giant, which I'd sent you pictures of and stuff. And I pretty yep. much dedicated my whole season to him. Um, he would have been well over 200 inches for sure. So that was pretty much like it was do or die with that buck. Um, he ended up dropping horns somewhere. I don't know where he dropped his antlers. I've, I've literally spent probably at this point. I bet I got 30, 35 hours looking just for that buck. Haven't found him yet. Um, but I got him on camera on January 8th, I believe. And he had dropped somewhere. Oh shit. Yep. He was done. So early. um, It's crazy. Yep. So immediately I was like, shit, like, okay. So now I got to figure out another buck. Like, so my mind immediately switched gears. I'm like, man, you know, um, haven't seen that big nine from summertime in a while. Saw him during the rut. Um, let him walk once during the rut just cause I was chasing this giant around. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to kind of go back in his home range and see what's going on. You know, maybe I can get back on him. Um, I knew he was probably living on one of two farms close by, had a, Decent idea of where he might winter just because I found his sheds last year and I knew he was in there quite a bit mm-hmm. in like December, January. I found his sheds at the end of February last year. So went in there and um, there were some oaks that had dropped late. So right away I was like, all right, you know, I, I want to start there, hang some cameras, um, just kind of see what's going on. About three, 400 yards away from there was a winter wheat field that we had planted. So I'm like, all right, these oaks would be a good transition zone. I'm going to hang two cameras, come back in five or six days. Let's, let's see what's going on. Um, really good South facing slope, a couple really good ravines run down through there. So, I mean, pretty much this, this buck would have had everything you needed to survive. So I was hoping I was going to get lucky and catch him, you know, wintering in there. Lo and behold, I go back five, six days later, he's in there. So now I'm like, all right, I'm going you know, basically every buck that I, I target when I get daylight photos, this is kind of my pattern. I go through, um, I look at the days and then I go on Google and type in the weather for those days and figure out wind direction, mm-hmm. moon phase, all that. Um, trying to find a pattern immediately. You're kind of taking um, a log. Yeah, basically. I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing homework. I mean, I'm immediately trying to find a pattern that jumps out at me. Um, 99% of the time it's wind related. Um, in my opinion, four and a half and older bucks. I mean, they're living and dying by the wind. And if you can figure the wind out, you've got a decent chance of killing them. If you're just going in blind, hoping and praying that you know what's going on versus actually having a plan and knowing what's going on, I think your chances go down drastically. I mean, that's yeah. just my opinion. Just I, my opinion. But I got to say, t- touching on the wind thing. I've said this before. We did a podcast. Oh, it's been a while, but Clint or sorry, Clark Cummings was talking about wind. Um, and he, he, he's just said a few things about wind, like quartering winds and just how make the wind right for you, but make it right for the deer. And that one just statement, make the wind right for the deer is like, it's like, well, duh, that makes sense. But I never really had it like peeled apart that like that way for me. Um, ever yep. since that, and I kind of looked at how deer use the wind differently. My success has gone through the roof. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of it's, I, I don't want to say a lot of it's luck, but 
a lot of it helps. It helps you think about how a deer might use a certain area. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've talked about it and written about it. I mean, you've got to hunt a wind that's right for the buck, not that's right for you. And you've got to figure out how to make the wind for him that's right for him, how to make it work for you. And probably you're going to be playing on the edge of disaster. I mean, realistically, that's just how it is. But like like this buck, for example, so he he was living in one of two or three thickets on this south-facing slope. And an east wind was his favorite. And that east wind basically let him, as he was walking to this oak flat, and then potentially his target area of feed was going to be the winter wheat, he'd walk through this oak flat, feed on acorns, transition from that onto feed in the winter wheat field. The whole time he had that east wind quartering in his face to where he could detect danger and have the wind in his face the entire time. Mm-hmm. Now, he also um, he also could have used a south wind, but that was a terrible, absolutely terrible wind for me. So I was able to make an east wind work to my advantage well enough to where I thought I had a chance of outsmarting him and not getting winded. But, oh, 100%, I mean, east wind was where it was at with this buck for me, for him. And I think a lot of people – you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, and I know I've talked with you guys on the podcast about this before, um, and I've read a lot about it. When you go from hunting a wind that's good for you to hunting a wind that's good for the buck, you should see a drastic change in success because realistically, the days where the wind is good for you and not him, you probably are not going to see him. I mean, I would almost guarantee nine out of 10 times you won't see that buck if the wind is not good for him. So you've got to be able to make his wind good for you. And that's where Mm -hmm. a mobile setup with sticks and a stand and lightweight and quiet, you know, like the, like the lone wolf custom gear stuff. This is where that stuff shines like a freaking shining star in a black night, because that's, you know, that's where a guy like me can move and mix and match to make the wind work for me, but it's a hundred percent working for him. And that's kind of the balance that you've got to find. So Mm -hmm. for me on this buck, it was an East wind. And, um, those were daylight days. Um, you like, like I said, you know, uh, the South facing slope, just to touch on that real quick. I'm a huge guy. I'm huge on south-facing slopes in late season. Number one, they provide the most sun. This year, we didn't have a super cold winter. But the other thing they provide is because they're getting the most sunlight, you've got the most feed already starting to grow. A lot of these south-facing slopes this year, they had green shoots growing. They had briar starting to shoot. Like There's actual feed that's there starting to sprout up on south-facing slopes the quickest because they get all that sunlight. So I key in on south-facing whether it's cold as shit or whether it's warm as shit because either way – a buck has what he needs there more so than any other facing slope. So mm-hmm. basically my whole game plan here was I was like, was, I was like, okay, you know, an East wind only. Um, I knew he was working towards these Oaks hanging out there, kind of transitioning and staging up there and then moving to the winter wheat. So I kind of had two ideas in mind with my work. I'm done every day at three 30. I wanted to get, I wanted to have a spot where I could jump in quick, like real quick right after work and it was going to be between the winter wheat and the oaks. And then I had a spot for the weekends or days where I was off work that was literally right on the oaks. Realistically, I wanted to kill him there because I, mm-hmm. I knew my chances 
We're going to be better catching him staging up there than staging up closer to that field. But I also was trying to watch the weather, waiting on a big cold front to come in. I knew that was going to happen sooner or later. So I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need to capitalize. So I had two spots ready to go. Um, I had two oaks already picked out, um, had already been up them, trim stuff. You know, I could run up, throw my sticks up, throw my stand up and be in within a couple minutes. Uh, it was just basically a matter of, you know, getting in and getting out. Right, right. And entry and exit, I mean, entry and exit's big any time of the year. But in late season, I think a lot of people forget, you know, these, like in Ohio, our archery comes in. This year it was like September 26th. It never goes out. So from September till February, first Sunday in February, that whole entire time, you can hunt archery here in Ohio. Then you've got youth season, you've got doe season, you've got shotgun season, you've got two-day shotgun season, and you've got four-day muzzleloader in between. Um, In late season, these these You can or cannot bow hunt during all that? Bow season never goes out. Okay, okay, okay. Yep, I... I'm bow hunting through every one of those seasons. Yeah, I killed now, creepy during second firearm season with my bow. Yep. You know, I had yep. a valid tag for firearm season. Is it the work the same there? Or, oh, it never closes, so your bow tag is good. It, it never closes except for the two-day doe season hunt that they sometimes do. You can't kill a buck on your buck tag during that. You can shoot a doe with your bow, but you can't actually kill a buck those two days on your buck tag with your bow. Cause it's, it's a, it's a, you know, so, but, but yeah, outside of that, yeah. I mean, you know, these deer are, are, are being hunted the entire time. So, I mean, getting in and getting out, um, any time of the year is important, but late season, it's absolutely like there's no room for error. What, What was cool here is I had a ravine that had some running water going down through it. I was able to basically use the running water to cover my scent, number one, walking straight down it. And number two, it masked any sound that I made. Um, I was able to walk right down it, jump up the one steep bank, get in my tree, and, you know, either setup was going to work for that. So that worked out awesome. Another thing I'll touch on real quick is how important just being quiet and sound is. Um, uh, another point in time where the lone wolf custom gear sticks have shined for me is late season. Um, a lot of guys run ladders, uh, four or five piece ladders. They work great in early season. Uh, it's warm. The, the, the steel or metals warm aluminum, whatever they're built out of. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting into, once you start getting into later hunts, every one of those pieces that's put together, you'll notice come November, December, it creaks and it pops as you're walking up in late season, dude, especially late season. I mean, absolutely. You cannot have it. And especially like me where I'm trying to kill these bucks tight to their beds. Cause I know that's where my chances are the best to get them killed in daylight. Um, late season, it's typically my big bucks, my mature bucks aren't going to be actually on the field in daylight. So I've got to go back in. You cannot be transitioning from section two to section three. And, and it sounds like you just crinkled up a beer can. (laughs) I mean, I mean, once, you know, once deer hear that, um, they know what's going on. I mean, they've heard that 30 times throughout the year. Like it's, you know, you've got to have a system and a setup that's dead quiet. So there yeah. again, I love the sticks because they're not together. You're not getting that creak and that pop and you, you don't have all that noise. Um, dude, that's, that's what, just, when I killed creepy, so he where he popped out was only 60 70 yards from where I where I was sitting 
And yep. when I went shed hunting, I kind of walked through that area because he he popped out of this little crease on this uh, slope. Um, and I get in there and I walk and I'm like, dude, this he was bedded so close to me while I was hanging my stand. Yeah, I I thought that if if I would have been a little noisy or a little sloppy or had a setup that made real loud clanky noises or whatever, there's no way I would have killed him. Yep. Oh he, yeah. He would have slipped out the other side, and I would have been I would have been wondering where he went. Well, and you know, let me guess. Clint, of- you just opened the door on your truck because you're taking a pee from drinking 14 bush lights. Yep. Uh, I yep. drank about five, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> You know, you, you know can me hear pretty, it. <laughs> you know, it's it's fine. No one, no one cares. Hey, no one's it's judging. Okay. You're in your driveway. No you're, to be on the I'm record, you're driveway. not driving around. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. But you know, it's it's fu- it's funny how you were talking about you're talking about getting close to bedding areas and stuff, and and how creepy knew you know, or he didn't know you were there, but obviously, like you knew he was there and he was close. So he was closer you know, than huge, I thought originally. <laughs> Well, and there's a big misconception. Um, I have people talk about, you know, that they message me all the time. They're like, oh, dude, you know, I blew this buck out of his bed. How long till he comes back? I'm like, I'd be right back in there tomorrow hunting him. And they're like, yeah, that's, what? that's crazy, kind of the, what? well, yeah, I know they're you like, and, what? uh, you and Andre kind of clicked on that a little bit. I know I, oh, I, yeah. I kind of introduced you guys and you guys had a long phone yep. conversation. And, oh, yeah. That was the feedback I got from it is that you guys kind of have the similar, uh, mindset yeah. on getting on a buck like that when it comes to jumping on and betting. And it makes perfect sense, you know, hearing Andre explain it and then hearing other guys that have kind of been through that experience like yourself and Cody. Um, yep. It's like, fuck, that makes perfect sense. But it's almost like the, well, it, it's like a weird double-edged sword because like hunting media, hunting content, and I used to be guilty of it because that's how I consumed my hunting content. It was like the mainstream tells you to back off because – a big buck is so fragile, which makes sense. I get it. And it is to a point, but most people in a generic term don't have the ambition to immediately hop in after bumping a buck or the knowledge. So I can kind of see how mainstream hunting media has yep. told people to back out, let them rest, and then get back in on them. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize how big bucks tick, too, because, I mean, you know, like, okay, prime example. If I break through your front door, but you hear me break through the front door, your alarm goes off, you then go grab your gun, and you shoot me in the chest as I walk through your kitchen. You're not going to go buy a new house and leave the state. You're going to say, hot damn, locking the front door and having the alarm system kept me alive. It did its job. It it, it did what it was supposed to do to keep me and my family from from danger like i knew someone was coming the alarm system sounded i knew to grab my gun and get ready for an intruder well when a big buck gets blown from his bed but he doesn't get killed his bed did exactly what he was supposed to do he either smelled you he heard you or he saw you or a combination of all three going in and he knew to get the hell out of there why is he going to relocate five miles down the street to an unknown place when his spot did its job? That spot's jobs keep my ass alive. Yeah. That's 110% what it did. And I mean, that's the way you've got to look at it. So for me, you know, I love getting in tight. And in late season, a lot of times you don't have a very long, uh, I'll call it a long distance, or you don't have a very, um, a very big, 
we'll say big window of opportunity to catch a buck on his feet. Typically it's a very short window um, of mm-hmm. time where he gets up and starts heading towards feed in the evening. Mornings is even harder trying to catch a buck back, beat him back to his bed. So I typically only hunt evenings in the late season. And like with this buck is I knew from pictures he was doing what I needed him to do. I just needed to figure out how to get in, how to get out undetected and, and get in there on nights when I had my conditions right. Mm-hmm. I actually, I actually hunted that area two times before the night I killed him. But the night that I killed him, whenever I called and texted you and kind of called my shot, there was a big cold front that had come in, had about a foot of snow. It was like eight degrees, east wind. Um, the snow storm had blew through that morning. It was perfect conditions. You know, your your mm-hmm. your pressure, your high pressure is moving out. I mean, it was just one of those days when I'm like, all right, this buck's probably been hunkered down all night. Right. You, you can kind of feel it a little bit. Oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Once you yep. get a little bit of hunting experience, sometimes you can feel it. Is that You yep. know what I'm talking about? That might be hard yep. for some people to get, but the people who know, they know what I'm talking about. It's Sometimes you yep. go out and you're just like, I'm, it's almost like you're just in the zone. Like, it's going to happen. Everything's dialed up. Like, it's going down. Well, and it's it's a confidence thing. I mean, I think... It's an experience um, thing, you know? Too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's and and that's a experience and confidence go hand in hand. I don't care whether it's throwing a baseball, shooting a basketball, or killing big white tails. The more you do it, the more situations you're in, the more experience you have, the more calm, collected, and confident you are. And that's, in my opinion, if you look at guys that are that are are, are big time buck killers and they're getting it done, they, there's a common thread and a common trait between all of them, and they 110% believe in their plan and they believe in themselves. And that's, that's across the board. I don't care if we're, if we're talking elk, mule deer, whitetails, antelope, turkeys, fucking squirrels. I don't care what it is. The guys that are consistently and girls that are consistently getting it done. When you talk to them, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when they're going to get their shot. And when they're going to get their animal killed, it's, it's there, there, there is no, well, I hope it happens. It's when it does happen, I'm going to kill that buck or tomorrow he's going to come through. My plan will work next Wednesday when the wind is right. I know it's going to work. I mean that in my opinion, you know, in my opinion, once you hit that level, your mindset and your, your vibes change for the better because not only are you confident in your plan, you're confident in yourself. And it's like, for me, I'm more in tune with what I'm doing. And I'm more, um, I'll say like cautious and sneaky about my entire approach, which makes me a better bow hunter, whether it's I'm hunting elk or right. whitetails. I mean, the more confident I am, the more in tune to what I'm doing and, and the more, um, for lack of better term, like, you know, I have that killer mentality at its highest amount or at its fullest amount during those times because right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm just, I'm ready and I'm waiting. And I think For once sure. guys get to that point, you know, you're, it's, it's pretty hard to beat a guy that's confident in himself. I mean, confidence makes yeah. the world go around. For sure. For sure. Dude, I love, I love that whole like type of conversation. Like, I, I don't know why, like that's, that's the type of shit I get into is like that 
the, it's almost like, yeah, there's the hunting talk, there's the bullshitting part, but then there's that underlayer that you, if you peel back the hunting talk, there's like yep. this deep mental conversation in it. Oh, yeah. And that's my favorite part of talking about hunting. because and, and, and I don't mean to exclude anyone, but I think the reason why I love that part of talking about hunting is because only the people that have done it for a while and people that know how to – like sometimes talking to people about hunting is painful. Yep. But yep. when you talk to your boys – like I, I have this connection with Chandler. I had this connection with you. A lot of my longtime hunting buddies. You can peel back that layer a little bit, and it, you get you talk about almost like the psych the psych game of it, the the internal like nostalgia of the animal. And I don't know. It's weird. It's like a you just you know how to peel back layers of experience and like deep rooted passion and respect for the animals, for the game, for for everything that you run yourself through. Um, that's where I like to go with hunting and it's hard to always get there. It's, it's not something you can just flip on. You almost have to just somehow you find yourself tapping into that conversation. So it's hard to plan, but that's my favorite types of conversation. If, if that makes any sense at all. Oh no, hundred percent. And I mean, honestly, um, y- you know, cause I podcast with you guys a lot and I mean, you read a lot of my stuff. That's my favorite stuff to talk about and write about because in my opinion, when you break down the super successful guys that are getting it done, especially the, the, the bow hunting world, they all have that mental edge, the mental toughness. There, there is no quit. There is no die. They know what it takes. They know they've got to grind until their opportunity comes. And when they're off, when their opportunity comes, they've got that, you know, freaking Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality. I mean, it's, it's a shooter mentality. It's right. If you know, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me and I've seen a lot of other guys in the industry ask the same question. And it's funny. We all answer it the same. Um, you know, what's your mindset when you're getting ready to draw back on an animal? And I've always said this, if you let me get my limbs bent, in plain words, I'm going to fucking kill you. I mean, that's just, and, and, and it's, and it's not, that's not me being cocky. That's not Brian Barney being cocky. That's not, I mean, like well, the you guys, put in the work once, yeah, once I'm, you're to well, that yeah. point that now you're at the easy part almost. Well, well, and, and it's, it's a mindset though. Like, right, right. Like, like, uh, you know, I hunt a lot with, with, with Barney and Dan Heverin and Devin Leonard and these guys, they don't fear missing. They're not afraid to miss. They, they're not worried about that. You, right. if, if you stand out there at 85 yards and you let Brian get his bow drawn, you're in fucking trouble. <laughs> I mean, it's all, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, your only hope is that you hear his arrow coming and you can duck out because if you stand there, you're going to take it and you're not going to like it. I mean, that's just, that's the bottom line. And that's the, it's taken me a, a lot of years to gain that edge. But that's where I feel like I'm at now is the mindset I have is not there is no fear of missing. If you let me bend the bend my limbs back, you're going to die. And and that's just and and I think, you know, that that mental edge in hunting is so important because confidence, like I said, makes the world go around. And I mean, that's something that, you know, some guys have it. Some guys don't. The ones that do have it, though. And the ones that understand it or the ones that are striving to get there, 
in the long run, man, they're going to see a lot more results than the ones that just are like, eh, I might hit this buck. Right, Maybe. I hope, sure. I hope I do. I hope I hit him. I hope I do. You know I mean, so, yeah, yeah, but no, sure. man, I, t- I totally get it. The mental, the mental thing is, uh, it's just, it's just it's, fun conversation. Um, oh yeah, it is. Hey, it what is. I want to do now, I'll take a quick break and then I want to get, when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, the actual story of the hunt. Yep. So, all right. One sec, guys. We drink a lot of beer. Okay, we're back. See how fast that is in podcast land? It's just like a half second pee. Not even that. It's done. Um, Boom. So I want to talk in. So just give us the rundown. You know, you put in the homework. You kind of had it all patterned out. You get in there uh, with, yep. with a good setup, and and you're in there. So break it down yep. from there. So it was a Sunday hunt. I was able to get in super early. Um, I left my truck at like 2.15. I knew it was going to be super cold. Uh, it was like eight degrees that evening, but perfect wind, perfect conditions, front moving out. Uh, I knew deer were going to be on their feet relatively early, so I wanted to get in there. I knew there was a lot of does and fawns and small bucks in there. Wanted to get in there and get set. Um, got tucked up in this this red oak. Um, had a bunch of grapevines and stuff hanging off of it. Um, just just perfect scenario, you know, absolute perfect spot, perfect scenario. Got in there super quiet. Um, I run four sticks. For the uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear Minis, um, those got me up to, I don't know, I was probably around 18 foot or so, mm-hmm. um, which is perfect. Um, as far as for cover and everything, man, it got me right to where I needed to be. Got my stand, got the 1.0 set up. And um, right about, it was probably like 3.30, 3.45, saw some does and two small bucks um, filtering through. Just like the script read, man, they came in, fed on acorns. Um, and then worked their way past me to my left, worked up the hill heading towards winter wheat, whole entire time, wind's perfect. Um, I just had that feeling, man. I just, I just, I really had that feeling like sooner or later he was going to show. Um, it was kind of one of those nights where as a bow hunter, you're just kind of embracing the whole moment, you know? I mean, um, super cold, snow on the ground, um, for me, it's it's my favorite time of the year to hunt. I, I love the cold. I love the snow. I love late season. Um, if you told me, write the script on how you kill a booner, what the conditions are going to be, that's going to be it, man. I love late season. I love the cold. I just I just like the kind of the, the nostalgia that follow that that kind of follows the late season hunts. You know, everything's bare. Mm-hmm. Every, everything, you know, the, the sun setting, it's, it's, it had been snowing and cloudy and, and crazy weather for the past two or three days. So it was kind of one of them evenings where it was just like, everything was kind of lining up, you know, beautiful evening. Um, about 4.15, I had another group of does get up. I watched them get up out of this thicket. They start heading towards me and there were, uh, let's see, it was four or five does and another little buck. And that little buck, I remembered him being in pictures with the buck I was hunting. So oh, I no thought, shit. yeah. So I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, this could be potentially the sign of, okay, this buck's close, you know, so it kind of put me in that zone, you know, like I went from, sitting there watching deer to, oh shit, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be go time. And in my head, it just kind of flipped. Like, I don't know. At that point, I really, really, really went from thinking, yeah, it's going to happen to, oh yeah, dude, there's a hundred, 110% man tonight's your night. And, uh, 
they fed through at like 30 yards. No idea I was there. Um, never even looked my direction. And as they were kind of working their way off, I caught movement back in the thicket from where they had come from. Pulled the Maven binos out, man, put them up. And immediately I saw those big bladed brows and I'm like, there's my boy. Here he comes. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of, I wasn't shocked because I honestly felt like 100% I was going to see that buck. But it was kind of one of those moments where up till this point, man, I had not drawn my bow all year on a whitetail. I actually hadn't taken my bow off the hanger. You don't shoot any does ever? Um, This year, I don't know why it worked out the way it did. Typically, I always do. This year, between my Colorado muley and then I killed a, a really good muley in Utah in November, I just didn't need the meat. So I it was kind of like, you know, I, so I, you. I just, yeah. yeah, I just, I just hadn't killed one. It's the same reason so, people are like, now that you're tagged out, are you going to go some other places? I'm like, I don't really need to be, right. I got right. what I need. I don't need to kill another whitetail. Right. So for me, it was like, I hadn't bent the limbs back yet, man, on a, on a whitetail. Um, so when I saw him coming, it was like, you know, it's January 19th. I've been grinding it for a couple months, three, four months. I mean, it was like immediate. Not buck fever, but just like I was so pumped. And I can remember sitting there in the tree being like, all right, Clint, this is it, man. Like, and, and I always do this. And some people probably would think, man, you get in your head too much. Like that would kill me. But for me, this is what gets me ready to go is like I mentally am in my head talking to myself. And for whatever reason, man, like that, that, that calms me down. Like I, I'm, I'm watching him at 150, 200 yards working my way. I know he's going to end up right in front of me in these oaks. It's going to be 25, 30 yard shot. Like as he's working through, I just remember thinking into my head being like, all right, this is it. You've worked all year for this. This is, this is the moment. Now we got to make it happen. Let's, we're going to, you know, let's start getting focused. And for me, it's a checklist. So as this buck's coming in, uh, my first step is I'm always scanning to make sure there's, there's either other deer around or no other deer around. If there's other deer around, I want to pinpoint what they're doing, where they're at. So I know when I can get my bow, when I can get ready. Luckily for me, the way this worked out, these deer had already fed by, he was kind of off on his own. So I didn't really have other deer to worry about. So that, that was awesome. That checked that off my list. Next thing is I'm starting to look at his path, how he's coming through. Um, where's my openings? Where can I draw? I'm immediately, you know, I'm immediately kind of flipping the switch to, okay, I know it's him. Now it's time to get into kill mode. Where am I going to kill him at? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had two different spots where as he come through, one would be quartering away, one would be broadside. I'm like, all right, I'm a first chance guy. The first good opportunity, that's what I'm taking. I've yeah, always been that way. Yep, because I know how mature animals are. A lot of times they only give you one opportunity. You better make it count. So for me, um, I'm thinking, okay, 27 yards, he comes through this opening. He, he's going to be quartering away. I'm going to open him up right there. That's That's my spot. For some reason, if that goes south, when he steps over here to 31 yards, I'd have another opportunity. But realistically, I want to kill him in the first spot. Um, and and that's that that was kind of my focus. So I remember, you know, I um, I get the bow off the hanger. Um, 
get my hand on my release. I shoot a thumb. So I'm, I'm getting everything kind of positioned. I got myself positioned in my stand the way I need to be to make this shot happen. He's working his way up. And those last final seconds, I mean, for me, everything kind of slows down and I really get inside my head. You know, I really talk to myself like through the shot, just through the sequence. I'm like, okay, you know, this is it. You know, we're going to get the bow drawn back. We're going to anchor. We're going to check my bubble. We're going to make sure everything's good to go. And we're going to push and pull the bow apart until the shot breaks. And this fucker's going to die. That's just, that's, that's where it's at. You know, yeah. that's, that's the, and, um, so, I mean, it was, it was honestly one of those hunts where the deer almost read the script better than I could have like actually made him read it. <laughs> right. He comes in. 27 yards and he literally goes down and starts feeding on acorns. I mean, his, he is facing directly away from me. His head is <laughs> giving you time to do and what you got to do. Oh, dude. I mean, I could have been up there doing the Macarena and, and I'm just like, okay, like if, if, if that's what you want to give me, like this is, this is great. So I remember getting back to full draw, I get anchored in, pick my spot. You know, I'm burning my pin through that spot, push and pull the bow apart, shot breaks. Just, I mean, from shooting so much in my life and shooting competitively in, in Vegas and five spot and all that stuff, I know when shots, like I know when I make a perfect shot when I don't. And that was one of those shots that broke and it just felt like absolute money. And it was, um, just absolutely hit, you know, middle of the rib cage, perfect quartering way shot, blew through the other side, stuck in the ground, you know, went in liver, come up through double lung, um, just, absolutely freaking rocked him he oh, runs man. you know 100 120 yards and he's already doing the old stiff-legged tail wagon deal and i'm just like you know i just i just i knew when i saw it hit he was done and you know there's there's just such a flood of emotion whenever you take it into late season that's another reason why i just i For love sure. the late season you know i love that late season grind man i mean there's just so much that goes into it you know you hunt the early season you hunt the mid-season you hunt the rut now you're into late season it's just like it was such an up and down season and so many twists and turns and to finally be able to, you know, kill a good mature buck, a buck I had history with, a buck that I set up, set kind of a game plan out and I had this blueprint of how I wanted to kill him and for it to all work out the way it did, man, just super humbling, super grateful, you know, just, just blessed to be able to kind of put it all together and make a good shot and get him killed. But, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those hunts that I go back to. And when I look at it, um, honestly, it boils down to me having a, a solid game plan. And yeah, when I, when I think back to the last probably 10 or 12 good bucks I killed with my bow, there's a pattern to most of them outside of some of the rut hunts where it was mostly just, I jumped in a stand and luckily he come by chasing the doe or he come through, um, on his own cruising all the rest of the other ones, which is probably seven out of the last 10 have been early or late where it's, I've got this solid game plan. I'm hoping the buck follows the game plan. And then it comes together. Like those mean the most to me because those game plans to me, that's like the ultimate kind of chess match. And that's mm -hmm. really what I love. That's, that's just, that's what I love to do. I mean, not that I don't love the rut, not that the rut isn't awesome. Um, not taking anything away from killing big bucks in the rut, but it's just, I love that chess match early and late. And when I get to kill him playing that chess match and I've got this plan of he's going to walk in, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, I'm going to kill him here. When those yeah, moments yeah. come together, man, 
they're just really special to me. So this, this buck is what is he's, he's by far not, um, one of my biggest on the wall. I mean, he's a mid one forties buck, which not, you know, me and a lot of people know me, I don't get caught up in score, but just for the score guys, I mean, he's, he wouldn't be in my top seven or eight score wise, but just the way it all played out, how I was able to figure, figure him out and make it happen. Um, it's, it's a super special buck for me because it, it was a late season grind and it was a buck that I had to put a lot of work into. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the ones that really stand out for me because it's a, sure, yeah. it's a chess match, you know, that it's kind of like of the times, same, like a little bit of examples, like my buck creepy that I shot, I shot him oh, December yeah, yeah. 9th or whatever, you know, yeah. I had, it, it didn't, I guess I really wasn't. I don't know, it's not that late. It's not as late as the one you shot, but it felt like late season after as much as I hunted yep. all year, you know? So it was kind of that just good, satisfying feeling to watch him hit the dirt. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, too, is it's like, you know, I get my rocks off on that the chess game that I talk about all the time, and there's very few times where you play that game and you win. Most of the time, you get your ass kicked and the buck wins. So... When you do get those special moments and you get to capitalize and you make a perfect shot and you get to win that battle, those are the ones that really, really, truly mean the most to me. I don't care how big the deer is because, like, you set out with this game plan and it it all worked out. You made every right move and you pieced every part of that puzzle together correctly to make it happen and to make your plan work. So those are the, those are the ones that, man, I, I just, I really get pumped about because, you know, there's just, there's so much that goes into them. You know, there's so yeah. much planning and, and just homework. And, uh, but, you know, I, I love that, man. That's, that's the part of whitetail hunting that I absolutely love is trying to sure. outsmart a big mature buck in his own element, whether it's his bedroom, whether it's his kitchen, whether it's his, you know, uh, where, where he's rutting, whatever. I mean, it's, that's the part that I absolutely love. And, uh, it was just super cool to get that buck killed late season in the snow, in the cold, just, just a fun, just a super fun hunt, man. I, uh, I get goosebumps just talking about it. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Well, congrats on a crazy season. Fuck dude. You, you polished it off real nice. Yeah, man, I, I had set out a little goal in my head. I wanted to fill all three buck tags, get a Colorado high country muley killed, get a Utah rut muley killed, and then get uh, a good a good Ohio whitetail killed. And it took me down to the wire. I had about two weeks left. I started to get a little bit nervous, but uh, I was able to get it done and, and um, you know, was uh, super thankful and blessed to, to have the opportunity that I did and was able to make the most of it. But, yeah, it was uh, – yeah. It was a fun season, man, and there were so many guys that had good seasons. I mean, gosh, man, so many guys that we're, we're all friends with on Instagram and Facebook and so many of you guys that had good seasons, and, man, it was just a, it was just a fun year and fun to watch everybody have success. And, uh, For sure. Yeah, For man, sure. it was uh, – I, I was just pumped to see everybody, uh, you know, that was successful. And even the guys that weren't successful, but, man, I had so many people reach out and be like – Man, I heard you on Working Class Bowhunter, and 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 I started doing this, and it's crazy how many more deer I saw, or I read your article, and and I I can't believe how that pertains to this buck I'm hunting. Like even the stories that aren't quote unquote kill stories or hero shots, but they're just guys that are are learning and picking stuff yeah, up from yeah. like added from knowledge like, stories. Oh, man. dude, yeah, absolutely, man. Like that's 
that stuff means more to me than what people will actually like realize and understand. So 100% for sure. It's cool to get like feedback on stuff you're doing as far as content goes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's always fun having you on the podcast. It's cool that we can do these one-on-ones and kind of just chit chat. We don't need the whole crew here. So it's good to catch up this way and do an episode like this. Um, I'm thinking we need to do a Utah hunt here in the future, man. Oh, dude, for sure, man. You'd love it out there, man. It's it's fun. That's a uh, that's a whole other endeavor, man. But it's uh, yeah, it's killer out there. We we'd have a hell of a good time. We need to make it happen. I'm down, man. I'm definitely down. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming back. Um, I mean, the four is yours. If you got anything to plug, I know you got some articles out. You know, kind of tell people where to find you. Yeah, man. Um, Instagram, Casper Clint. Facebook, Clint Casper. Um, Right full time for Peterson's bow hunting. Got some stuff on uh, like go hunt and um, you know some different different spots there on blogs and stuff here and there. Um, you know, kind of podcasts all over the place. But obviously, everybody knows. You know, this is kind of my uh, this is kind of my my home front, my home base is uh, with with my fellows at Working Class Bow Hunter. Um, magazine yeah. wise. Oh yeah, hell yeah! Magazine wise, uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and some stuff in Deer and Deer Hunting. Um, probably gonna have one in Bow Hunter again this year, but mainly Peterson's Bow Hunting. Go get subscribed to that man. A lot of good stuff coming down the pipes there, man. These the next couple issues, oh man, are they stocked full with just tips and techniques and tactical stuff? I mean, just so much knowledge. Very um, cool. You know, so yeah, man. Very cool. Um. Fuck, I was going to bring something up. I was thinking about it, and then I, I forgot. Oh, shit, 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 shit. Anyway, I don't know. We got some stuff we're, we're talking about for the future. I don't want to tease too much, but we're talking more, working with you a little bit. Um, oh, I remember now. Are you going to try If Assuming this whole virus shit settles down and we can have the shoot, uh, which is still on schedule for June 20th, are you going to be able to make it out? The people need to know. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to. That's Father's Day weekend, isn't it? It is. That's a bummer. About yeah, it's it. yeah, it's it's gonna be. I'll be honest. It's gonna be tough for me. Um, definitely gonna want to spend it with the with. Okay. With okay. Two, me, two little guys. Let me hit you with this. End of August, Illinois Deer and Beer Fest in Bloomington, Illinois. End of August. So I'll oh, be solo. Fuck. Yeah, we'll be out. Well, well you will. Well, be. Colorado doesn't start till um, September second. I start hunting, so I'm gonna head west, probably like the twenty seventh, twenty eighth. I I could probably wait. That's like when the show is, so you might as well just swing through yeah, and hit the show. Yeah, I was show. gonna say I could probably yeah, I could probably do that. I could I could yeah, I could I could, I could make that work. It'd be a it'd be a cool little prelude uh, to the hunt. Go out, hang out with everybody, have a good time, and then um, and it'd be on your reach. way too. Actually, like, yeah, seriously, yeah. right on your way. Yeah, yeah. No, we could probably we could probably make that happen. That'd be fun. We'll, we'll talk about that one more. I just had to throw you on the spot. So heck yeah, I like it. I like it. You know me. I like being on the spot. A little bit of added pressure. Yes, exactly. I want the listeners to hold you accountable. You know, I like I like being held accountable. I like that. <laughs> well, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you. I, I think it's time to close her out, man. So like always, man. I always have fun chatting with you, and it's uh, it's been awesome building this relationship through the podcast and uh, our friendship been rocking man i'm looking forward to the future absolutely man can't thank you guys enough uh can't thank the listeners and everybody that supports working class bow hunter and supports me on everything we're doing uh yeah man huge shout out to everybody that's out there uh rocking the gear and and helping us out and it's fun to watch everybody grow and succeed so hell yeah man hats off to uh, everybody in 2020 stay healthy and uh catch you guys soon that's right all right everyone thanks for listening 
You know what to do. Go shoot your bow. We love you. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.